how money circulates in the economy. Basically, what happens is the government, as I talked about in Economic Prosperity for All, the government borrows money. The Federal Reserve gives the government the cash, and the government gives the Federal Reserve a bond or a promise to repay that particular amount of money. And so from that perspective, the government then takes that money and spends it on whatever items they have in their budget in the economy, just like the Economic Prosperity for All documentary shows. And then obviously you have the money multiplier effect where just the nature of commerce, people borrowing money, spending money, buying and selling things, somebody one guy puts $100,000 into his bank account, that bank turns around and creates a $90,000 loan for a piece of real estate. That $90,000 gets wired to a title company, which that title company's bank account or the seller's bank, or the, I should say the seller's bank account who gets the cash after the transaction closes, then that money goes, if you've seen the animation that we have in that documentary, the money goes and gets deposited into the seller's bank account. But what's interesting about that, and that's because of the magic of fractional reserve banking, is that that money, you had a, originally $100,000 sitting in the bank account, and now because of fractional reserve banking, the bank only has to keep 10% of all of their depositor money in the bank, and the rest, 90% of whatever they take in from their other depositors, can be lent out as interest. And so the original bank from the person buying the property that showed $100,000, now they take $90,000 for the purchase of that property. They give it to the seller. The seller takes that $100,000 or that $90,000 deposit, deposits it in their bank. But when you look at on the balance sheet of the original bank that was lending that money out, as far as their borrowers are concerned, there's still $100,000 in the account, even though they actually lent out 90000 They don't actually even have that money anymore. And so whatever the bank takes in in checking and savings accounts, they're allowed to lend, lend out up to 90% of that interest. And so you got the government spending money, you've got banks lending money, and as that bounces around from bank to bank, each bank can lend out 90% of whatever they have in depositor money and this helps to increase the money supply and circulation when there's plenty of money there's plenty of money to buy and sell things there's plenty of money to pay people to do things but when you look at like what happened in 2007-2008 where the banks are no longer lending now you get a contraction in the money supply when the money supply contracts there's less money to pay people there's less the builders aren't building as many houses Therefore, they're not paying the carp the same number of carpet guys to put carpet in their houses or tile or landscaping or to do their concrete work or whatever it happens to be or pay the salary of their employees. And so when the, the Federal Reserve is printing and lending money into existence and there's plenty of borrowers to borrow money, you get a booming economy. But when things, the musical chairs stop, as we show in the animation, the documentary, Economic Prosperity for All, the money supply contracts. And when the money supply contracts, 
the economy contracts. When you look at what's happened over the last year with all of the lockdowns, and you have people that are just, oh, you're not an essential business, you can't work, but instead the government's going to write you a check for staying home. Whatever economic output was removed from the economy because of the shutdowns, if it's not made up by the government writing checks to those people or those businesses that are no longer working, you're reducing the money supply and circulation. And therefore, when the money supply contracts, so does the economy. And so the idea is that when you understand what money is, what the purpose of it is, and the different government agencies that regulate the supply and the expansion and contraction of money, then the question becomes, what what is the government's role? How much should they be creating? Because if you got too many dollars, like what we saw in 2005, 6, 7, and 8, you got too many dollars chasing too few assets, meaning there's a lot of capital chasing a finite amount of real estate. What happens is people are, because there's so much cheap money out there, they're willing to pay more for that real estate. So they end up bidding up the price on the, that piece of real estate just because more people have cash to buy real estate because the financing is easy. So you get artificial inflation in that particular asset, kind of just like what we're seeing now where the government is willing to pay people more to stay home and not work on unemployment versus going back to work. And so, I mean, it's common sense. If the government's willing to give you, say, $15 an hour, on a 40-hour week to sit at home and not work, and you have been working a job paying you 10 or 11 bucks an hour, any normal human being is going to say, yeah, I think I'll stay at home and take that $15 an hour in the unemployment, and then I'll only go back to work when I'm absolutely forced to. And so what's happening is you get artificial inflation in the, la the labor market. So it's kind of like a backdoor way to raise a minimum wage because if you basically take out a large segment of people earning minimum wage to where you actually pay them more to stay home. Now everybody that needs to hire employees to run their businesses are paying more. So everything then becomes more expensive. Whereas you might've had people you're paying 10 bucks an hour. Now you're paying them 15 or 20 bucks an hour just to get people to work. And so therefore your expenses are higher. So you have to pass on that expense to your customer. And so obviously across the board, everything is more expensive just because you got fewer people working because it's quite frankly it with the unemployment it's you make more money sitting at home and so all these little factors affect the money supply in the economy and where the government or government policy directs that capital or that cash determines whether or not you get inflation or deflation in assets and that helps make the economy unstable and contributes to the destructive boom and bust cycle. So like right now, what you're seeing when you listen to like the Federal Reserve is they're saying, yeah, we're seeing inflation, but we're going to continue printing new money and giving it to the government. The government's going to keep spending excesses of money, even though they might have a bill that sounds good on the surface, a very small fraction actually goes towards what people say these particular bills are, are going to pay and finance for. So it's always interesting to see where the money goes because if 
you're paying, say, $500 billion a year to China to make your stuff. They give you stuff that they made, and then you give China your cash. And so if your trade deficit is $500 billion, they get your $500 billion, you get the stuff, but you lose the circulation of that $500 billion in your economy. And then when your economy crashes, those people that became millionaires in China come over and buy your foreclosed house for 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar or, or some other country. And so it's always interesting to see that. Or you look at disbursements where people come to the United States, they work here, and they don't have any intention of staying here. They're just working here because they want to make money. So they work here and they're sending their money back home. And if you got 50, 100 billion dollars a year being sent to different countries, the reality is that capital gets removed from circulating in our economy. And so trade deficits absolutely matter. If a company leaves and fires all their employees to go base them overseas, now instead of those employees getting paid a salary and spending their money and buying and selling goods, maybe they're getting unemployment because now they're laid off. And so that capital we would have paid them to make the products or provide the services are now provided to the foreign-based corporations. And so that capital leaves our economy, goes overseas, and now those people, instead of paying taxes to the government, are actually taking out benefits. And so no matter what policy the politicians do, you have to account for this. And the question always becomes is where does the money go? Where does it circulate? If it stays in our country and stays in our economy, it's good for the economy, it's good for the money supply, like the animation that we have showing that the pool of economic activity, which is really great from that Economic Prosperity for All documentary. And you can see how the different sources of money being pumped into the economy affect the wellness of the economy, how much it's booming or how much it is busting. But you always want to see where does the money go? Does it stay here or does it go overseas? And whatever leaves our economy and goes over th overseas through trade deficits or foreign aid or people working here and sending the money back home to their countries, you have to account for that. And if people are taking out more money than it's being pumped into the economy, you're going to see the economy contract because you're literally contracting the money supply. And it's really important to understand how money circulates in the economy. Let's talk about the purpose of money. So obviously we did a economic prosperity for all the, the documentary on the monetary system. And as I also talk about in my second book, Mastering Yourself, we talk about money has two purposes. It's a medium of financial exchange. In other words, enabling us to buy and sell goods and services. And it's also a store of financial value. So as you work over time, you're going to translate your gifts, your skills, your talents, your assets, your actual hours that you work into digital or paper receipts. Whether it's a U.S. dollar or the Japanese yen or the euro or a Bitcoin or a Litecoin, money has two purposes. It it's a medium of financial exchange and a store of financial value. And it basically makes beneficial human interaction really easy and frictionless. So we've got lots of apps 
and different programs being designed. Companies are now starting to take Bitcoin, Dogecoin, other things for payments in lieu of strictly only accepting like U.S. dollar or any of the other currencies. This is something interesting that I've only learned in like the last 15, 20 years. And because you hear a lot about on TV about the Federal Reserve and buying debt. So when the Federal Reserve gives money to the U.S. government, the U.S. government or the U.S. Treasury gives a bond back, the bond is a promise to repay. When the Federal Reserve holds that bond, they call it monetizing the debt, the U.S. government's interest expense in that debt is zero. Because whatever profits the Federal Reserve earns on its activities, at the end of the year, it gets rebated back to the U.S. Treasury. So if the Federal Reserve sells those particular government bonds in the open market, say China or Japan or somebody else buys them, now instead of an interest expense being of zero, the federal government has to pay whatever the interest rate on those bonds is to whoever holds them. And so if the Federal Reserve is holding government bonds, the interest expense to the U.S. government is zero. If those bonds are sold in the open market and other people, entities, governments, countries, pension funds buy them, then whoever holds those bonds gets whatever interest rate is paid. And so it's a way for the Federal Reserve banking system to restrain the politicians and reduce the amount of money that they can spend on their programs by either buying bonds or monetizing them, as they continue to call that, or selling them on the open market. And so based on, you hear a lot about the debt ceiling, they keep increasing it. But the reality is, is they spend this money, and as long as the Federal Reserve holds the debt, the interest expense to the U.S. government and therefore the American people is zero. So it's like most people don't really understand that. And when I learned this stuff, this is really interesting because they always say, China's they got all our debt. We're, we owe them everything. It's Well, the Federal Reserve just prints new money, buys those bonds back, and now the government's interest expense is zero on those bonds as long as the Federal Reserve holds them.